Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Hey, well, welcome. It's so good to have you guys here today. Uh, we are actually in a series that we started last week on the book of Psalms. So if you missed last week's lesson, uh, I'm going to actually teach that whole lesson first, and then I'll teach lesson two after I teach that. No, actually, you can, you can just, yeah, I'll spare you. Uh, you can go to our website, just go to our website, click on watch and listen, and you can find the Psalm series, the audio versions on there if you want to catch up on that. Anyways, we started out with Psalm 1 last week, and it's the, the topic of just being blessed. And so we're going to take it a little bit further. Um, you know, I'll tell you what, there was a trip that I was invited to a number of years ago. Uh, and I'm actually, I'm going to tell you, I'm glad I didn't go on this trip. But I had, uh, I had uh, a couple of different guys that um, were in my church uh, and this one particular guy was a big, burly guy. I mean, he was an electrical contractor, but he was one of my drummers. He was probably my best drummer. He was an incredible drummer. And he was after me for a couple of years because he kind of, a, he was, a, him and his wife had a ranch with horses and stuff like that. And uh, one day his wife just brought home like an abused donkey. And out of that, they ended up starting a donkey rescue mission. I know it sounds like I'm making that up, but it actually is true. He's now in Texas. He has a 70-acre ranch and they rescue. That's all he does full time. But uh, this guy was after me, and he's going, Graham, he goes, you know, you got to come with me on this trip. Now, you have to understand, I grew up, you know, going camping and all that. But then when I got married, my wife's version of camping was like the Marriott. You know what I mean? That's like as close as we're going to get to camping anymore. So like whatever genes I had in me to endure the outdoors, I like I lost them. So, But you got to man up when your friend's asking. He's like, hey, man, we're going to go on this exciting trip, Graham. And he was highly organized. He goes, we're going to go on this exciting trip, man. We're going to go out to Death Valley, man. We're going to go around a three-day trek, and I've got some burrows with me. We're going to load them down with supplies. He goes, I've got a team that's going to launch us, a team that's going to pick us up. I'm thinking, what could go wrong, man? That sounds like you're highly organized, right? Like, what could go wrong with that? So at the last minute, I get this call. Someone in my congregation passes away, and I was like, hey, man, I'm really sorry, dude. I cannot go on that trip. I've got to do a funeral. And so I stayed behind and did the funeral. And then later on, I heard the story of what happened. He was glad I didn't come. First of all, they almost got killed right out of the gate by a boulder that fell and almost crushed them, and they just dodged it. And uh, so what happened was, he goes, Grammy goes, you will not believe this. He goes, the first night, he goes, we're taking these donkeys. And he goes, we hike way past sunlight because we're trying to really, you know, move on this trail. And he goes, and all of a sudden, he goes, my donkey's stalling. He goes, you know, they just, I'm trying to coax him. He goes, I can't get him to go any further. And he goes, eventually, I just say, hey, you know what? That's okay. Let's just stop. We've gone far enough. They wake up the next day. They're on the edge of a cliff. Like they'd have gone off, right? So that was strike one for me not going on that trip right there. But then I found out a little truth about donkeys. So they're walking around this one path, and this donkey that has all the food loses its footing and tumbles down the hill, and that food's just going everywhere. Well, I didn't know this about donkeys. Maybe you didn't know it either. Did you know that donkeys will follow each other into harm's way? And so the one donkey that was just like cool, like standing still, he was just like, hey, you know, it wasn't like the smart donkey in Shrek. He's just like, hey, man, I'm over, and he like dove over the cliff, started tumbling, right? And the water, that donkey had all the water, and the water just went boom. Now, they're about a day and a half into this trip, and it's extreme heat, extreme weather conditions. And now for the next day and a half, they're walking back in extreme conditions with zero water. And he goes, Graham, he goes, I have never been that thirsty in my life. He goes, we got to the point on that trail. We weren't sure if we are going to make it because we were hot. He goes, we actually 
stopped being able to even, he goes, you couldn't even create saliva. We were so dry. And thankfully, they got back to their team and they were able to get these guys safe and hydrated. And my wife was like, I told you, you shouldn't have went. I'm like, you were right. I shouldn't have went. And I didn't. So God made sure I didn't go. But you know, the thing is, they were severely dehydrated. Now, I've never been that dehydrated, but I got to admit, in my younger years, sometimes just because I didn't know any better when I was younger, I'd go out and I'd be working all day outside or whatever, and I wouldn't drink enough. And you think you're doing fine until the end of the night, and all of a sudden, at the end of the night, you got like a nasty headache, or you're feeling kind of dizzy, and you start realizing that you're basically dehydrated, right? And so here's the thing. A lot of us, when we're dehydrated, we end up not functioning too well. A lot of our functions start to slow down. Our brains slow down. Everything slows down, and we're not quite who we should be. Do you know, spiritually, if we're not careful, we can spiritually become dehydrated as well. And when we're spiritually dehydrated, sometimes we can't quite put our finger on what's wrong and why things aren't happening the way they should in our lives. And very often we can trace it back to the fact that we haven't been drinking from the streams of God's river. And so today I really want to look at how we can do that. And here's the main thought I want to get across from you. The way we drink from God's streams is by meditation. Now there's another way we can drink, and we'll talk about that next week. But I want to get right into this. In Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Blessed is the person who does not follow the advice of wicked people, take the path of sinners, or join the company of mockers. Rather, he delights in the teachings of the Lord and reflects on his teachings day and night. Now, listen to what this person is like when they do that. He is like a tree planted beside streams, a tree that produces fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. And I like this part. He succeeds in everything he does. So he's talking about delighting in what God is teaching us, or the law of the Lord. And that reminds me of Jeremiah 15, 16. It says, your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me the joy, a joy, and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Now, how many of you know, when he's talking about the word of God, that's your Bible, right? He's not treating that as like some little kid that's saying, I don't want to eat my veggies. No, he's saying, man, God, your word is the delight and the joy of my heart. Like, I'm delighting in what you're saying to me. And I love that. If we go to another passage in Psalm 119, 103, it says, your words are so choice, so tasty. I prefer them to the best home cooking. Come on. Now, that's better than your mama's pasta. Now, my mom's pasta was spaghetti with hamburger meat and ragu sauce because she was Irish, right? She did good stews and good soups. But, you know, anybody's pasta was better than my mom's, all right? So, but here's the thing. My mother-in-law, she knew how to throw down when it came to, like, serious Italian cooking. And, I mean, he said, hey, the word of God is better than that. Another translation says, Lord, your word is sweeter than honey. I don't think most of us talk in honey narratives today, right? So I don't use honey a lot. I don't know about you guys. I used to put it in my tea, but I don't use it a lot. But What's he saying? He said, Lord, your word is sweeter than honey. That was like candy. And he's saying, Lord, your word is better than Ben and Jerry's. Lord, your word is better than, than Katie's Corner. Your word is better than Handel's. Your word is better than Godiva. You name the best chocolates you've got. He's like, your word is tastier. It's sweeter. It's better. But how many of us, when we're coming to the word of God, are coming to the word of God with that kind of excitement that you would have towards your favorite meal? It's like, I was thinking about this um, 
Lori and I went out with uh, one of our couples here at the church to this place called Giangelo's. They invited us, if I'm saying that right. And I can still remember this. Now, my wife is Italian, and I don't know why my brother-in-law is Italian. And I noticed that, like, whenever they talk about how good an Italian restaurant is, oddly enough, they'll say, they do really good greens there, as if they judge the restaurant by how they do the greens. Is that how Italians do it? Maybe. I don't know. But that's how they do it. It's kind of weird to me. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? That eggplant parmesan was melting in my mouth. That was months ago. I can still, I'm like, I'm almost like ready to just walk out on you guys and go get a piece of that eggplant parm. It's so good. And he's saying, hey, that's how the word of God should be to us. But how many of you know, a lot of us, if we're honest, when we come to the word of God, it's almost like, eh, you know, I got to do this, right? So how do we shift that? And we want to look at that a little bit. I know this, when my kids were little, um, we used to read books to them. Primarily Lori did, but I read books to them as well. I wasn't as patient as her. But how many know when your kids are toddlers um, and you read them a story, they just go, oh, that's so awesome. Would you read it again? Read it again, right? And then you read it again. And what do they do? Read it again. And you're like, are you serious? Like, I just read it to you twice. Seriously. You want to read it again? Yeah, I want you to read it again. And you read it again. All of a sudden, you start skipping, like, pages. You ever try that, parent? I'm going to skip some pages. Like, and they're like, you skipped something. It's like, oh, man, I can't even. So when our kids are little and we read to them, they're hearing words for pleasure. Everything is just fun. I'm enjoying this. I love hearing these stories. And then all of a sudden, one day we say, hey, guess what? We want you to do well in school, so we're going to start teaching you your alphabet, vowels, consonants, syllables. We're going to teach you how to read. And guess what? When you go to school, you're going to stop reading for pleasure. Now you're going to read so that you can pass your test at the end of this week and finish that writing assignment and get a good grade. And by the way, we don't care too much if you remember what we just tested you on because we're on to the next chapter. And what happens well, then we carry that kind of thinking over where it's all about knowledge because it's a Western mentality in how we teach. It's all about knowledge. We carry that mentality over to the Bible. When I come to the Bible, I just want to know more. I want to know more. And now I'm on to the next chapter. I want to know more. Now I'm on to the next thing. What can you teach me now? But that was never what the Word of God was intended to be in our life. I love what D.L. Moody said, you know, well over 100 years ago. He said this. He said, the Bible was not given to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives, to transform us from the inside out. And Jesus said it this way. He said, my words are spirit, and they impart life. They give life. They're not like the, the words in this book that we call the Bible are not like any other words in any other book. They're full of life. They're full of power. They're alive, and they can change us and transform us from the inside out. You know, and Jesus said it this way when he was facing the devil. He said, man does not live by bread alone. Man doesn't live by what he eats on his dinner table this week. Man doesn't live by what he eats at Taco Bell, you know, at 12 o'clock at night. But man lives by what? By every word that comes out of God's mouth. Feeding on it. So how do we do that? Meditation. And here's the thing. How many of you ever done this? And I've done this so many times. I'm so guilty. If you were to ask me, and part of me deciphering would be to get you into the Word of God, how many know uh, I'd probably get you on version, and I'd get you going in some kind of reading program? I've done like the Bible in a year multiple times. I've done, you know, the New Testament. And what happens is like if I'm doing the Bible in a year, I'm on my app and I'm reading. But anybody ever skip a day or two? 
you skip like two days and you got 85 chapters to read. By God, I'm going to check that box off. I'm going to read it. And you're just reading it. It's like, what did you read? I have no idea. I don't remember. Do you know what? One of the greatest enemies of growing spiritually is always being in a rush, perpetually being in a state of hurry. Did you ever see Jesus in a state of hurry or rushing? And, and, and I know my dad is that way. My dad is like 86, and the dude is hyper. He walks fast. If you go to the mall with him, he like, you got to try and run to keep up with him. And when Lori used to describe me, she used to say, the best way to describe Graham is he's kind of like, you know, it's like I, I, I'm, in, I'm in a car. Like, this is when the demons come and attack me when I'm in a car. Don't get in front of me when I'm driving because it's like, get out of the way. You're too slow. What's wrong with you? I don't care if you're 85. Get out of my way. You know, it's like. But I've had to learn, contrary to my nature and the way I was raised, was that, that spiritually I need to slow my roll. I need to slow things down. I need to chill a little bit. I need to step back, especially with the Word of God. You cannot treat the Word of God like a fast food meal. You've got to step back and enjoy the Word of God. You've got to take it like it's a. Uh, you know, just a delicacy. And it's almost like if you're eating ice cream, you don't just like gulp it down. You just slowly take it in. Listen to what Psalm 1-2 says. Instead, you thrill to God's word. You chew on scripture day and night. You chew on scripture day and night. That's meditation right there. Just chewing on the word of God. You know, I have to admit, um, when I was growing up, I was the one kid in my family that had the reputation of just not being able to cook. My mom used to say, this kid couldn't boil water, you know? And it wasn't that I couldn't, I just actually didn't want to. So if you gave me a job and you said, hey, would you rather dig a ditch in 100 degree weather or would you rather make an omelet? I'd be like, I'll dig the ditch. Like I hated it. So I can remember, this is how lazy I was, guys. I came home from a job where I worked at a nursery. I'd come home and I was so hungry, I really wanted a sandwich. But I wasn't hungry enough to get up and get it myself. So I would say to my little brother, who was five years younger, I'd say, hey, Paul, would you get me a sandwich? And he said, absolutely, I'll get you a sandwich. That'll be a dollar. I'm like, are you serious? I mean, are you going to charge your brother a dollar? He goes, yeah, you're working, aren't you? He goes, you're too lazy to get it yourself. I'm like, I, so I literally, I paid him a buck. He made money. I, if I wanted two sandwiches, it was two bucks. There was no bargain discount here. So here's the thing. Why am I saying that? Because... You know, one of the things that we want to do as pastors is we're all about trying to get you to begin to experience these truths and these realities for yourself. The Apostle John said it this way, I have no greater joy than hearing that my children walk in truth, like walk in it, experience it. And the thing is, is that if the only meal you ever get is when you come on a Sunday, then you're malnourished. And so part of the idea of learning how to meditate is to learn how to feed yourself so that this is just kind of an overflow and God's talking to you and speaking into your life all week long. And you get here, man, we're just adding to what God has already been doing in your life, all right? So how do you go from a place of just checking the box, from a place of duty to delight? How do you get to that place? Well, I wanna just expound a little bit on the power of, of the word of God for just a second. Um, we're gonna go to the book of Ephesians chapter six. And in Ephesians six, and we're not looking at the subject here, but it talks in this passage about putting on the whole armor of God. And essentially what it's describing is that you and I have spiritual battles in the unseen realm. And if we want to 
walk in victory, we have to put on God's armor to be successful. And so we're going to come to the last piece of armor. And it says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word rhema of God. Now, the reason I put that word rhema next to word is that in the New Testament, there's two primary words used for scripture. One is called logos and one is called rhema. Now, logos is way more abundant and used way more often. But the thing about logos is, is logos is where you find out the general information about who God is, who Jesus is, what his promises are. You know more about him. It's the total message of God. But again, the key word there in logos is it's total and general. So it's the full body. Rhema is way more specific. And so in this context, what is a rhema? Listen to this definition. The reference is not to the whole Bible as such, but to the individual scripture, which the Spirit brings to our remembrance for use in time of need. So we talked about the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, right? That's the only offensive weapon that I can see in this armor is the one where we take the word and we speak it out of our mouth. We speak God's word, just like Jesus did. And so we see Rhema here. Now, it says, like, for instance, if you and I were in a fight, a spiritual battle, in those moments, if we have allowed the word of God to get into our heart, that logos, that general word, that knowledge, it says the Holy Spirit can extract that word and pull it up to you in your time of need so that you can use it against your enemy. So let me just tell you how this works. And, and let me tell you what a rhema is. A rhema is a specific word to a specific person in a specific situation. So my whole life, starting at six months old, I've been allergic to bees. And my reaction to a bee sting is pretty severe. Um, so when I was six months old, I got stung while I was in my, my prom and my mom took me to the hospital got me a shot, and they had to watch me. Um, and then all growing up, if I got stung on the arm, I mean, my arm, I kid you not, like a, for a whole week, my arm would blow up and look like Popeye's arm. And as an adult, when I got stung, you know, mowing the lawn, I mean, I got stung on the calf and from like my knee to my ankle for like a solid week. Was hugely swollen, rock hard, and, and it would, I could barely walk on it. Like that's the kind of reaction I had, right? I was praying every time I got stung. I'd go, I'd get help, I'd take Benadryl, I'd do whatever I could do. But I remember in the summer of 1994, we were doing a vacation in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin with my wife's family. And her father had a lake house there. And so we were out and whatever we were doing, water skiing and then fishing off the pier there um, at that lake. And it came time for dinner. And so it was like, hey, everybody pitch in. Let's gather up all this stuff and let's get back to the house and eat dinner. So we're all picking stuff up. And I reached down. And when I picked up this bag by the straps, I felt this burning sensation in my ring finger. And right away, I knew what that probably was. And I looked down, and there was a bee. And I went, flick, and there was the stinger. And I scraped the stinger out, right? You never squeeze the stinger because it puts more venom in. You scrape it out. Scraped it out and quickly got my ring finger off. Why? Because usually this arm is going to be two to three times the normal size that it is. And my first reaction was... I can't believe this, man. I'm on vacation. I don't feel like going to urgent care or an ER room, man. I'm going to be, this is going to be a vacation I'm not going to be able to enjoy now because I'm going to have this, you know, this arm that's all messed up and everything. And I was like, Lord, you got to help me, man. Come on. You know, I start praying, right? And on the inside of me, I heard God speak to me and say, go to the house and I'll show you what to do. I was like, okay, that's a, that's a start. 
So I thought, I'm going to go to the house before I go to the AR room or whatever I'm going to do. I get there, and I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm here. What am I supposed to do? And uh, I know I can suck down Benadryl, take antihistamines. I can do all that, but that does almost nothing. And even after the shots, it does almost nothing. So I said, what do I do? And a scripture right out of the Bible that I actually knew, James 5.14, is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let him anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer that's offered in faith shall heal the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. But if he's committed any sins, he shall be forgiven. I knew that was in the Bible because I'd memorized it. And the Holy Spirit brought that scripture right out of James 5.14 to me and said, have your wife anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. I said, okay, you want me to act on this scripture? Yes. I said, Lori, go get the olive oil out of the cabinet. We went into a bedroom. She anointed me with oil, prayed a prayer of faith. Two days later, I put this ring back on. My arm never swole up. I had, I mean, the slightest amount of swelling in my finger. I was completely healed. Now, that's never happened before or since because I've been stung since. It didn't work that way. But what was that? That was the Holy Spirit taking this general promise of God or the general word of God, and he was making it a rhema. It was coming alive. You know, me and my sons, when, it, when they first came out, we were sort of like Lord of the Ring geeks, and we loved all the Lord of the Ring movies. But Frodo had a sword called Sting, and Sting was given to him. And Sting looked like any other sword. It didn't look like much, but it had a distinct uh, value to it. When orcs would get close by, you didn't even have to see them that sword would light up and become blue and it would become an orc killer. And that's how this is. We have this Bible, right? We have this Bible, but God wants to make his word come alive in us. And one of the main ways he's going to do that is when we take time to meditate in the word of God, to think about it, to chew on it, to pray over it. And so we're going to look at that just a little bit further today, how we can do that. So Psalms is primarily a book that if you get into it and you do the Psalms again and again, it'll train you in prayer. And some of the New Testament prayers that we're going to pray are a little bit different, but it's going to train you how to pray. It's also going to train you how to worship. But one of the ways that you can go further in prayer is through meditation. And here's what I mean. It, you know, one type of prayer, and this is certainly not the only, one type of prayer is what I call calling prayer. So calling prayer would be like if I just said, hey, Joe, you know, what do you think about what LeBron did, you know? What do you think? I mean, what, what do you think? I mean, I feel bad for the Cav fans or I feel happy for the Laker fans or whatever. I might go through that, and I'm going to wait for his response. And what he's going to do, he's going to respond to me and say, I hope he breaks his ankle, right, or whatever he says. He wouldn't say that. He's a good guy. But the other kind of prayer, so, so that kind of prayer, is where you and I, we're going about our day and we're saying, Lord, um, I need your help in this. And Lord, I need your wisdom over here. And, and Lord, um, you know, this is going on in my life with this relationship. And this person just, I mean, you know, they're, they're just rubbing me the wrong way. I feel like I want to strangle them, but I know that you don't want me to do that. So you got to help me. And so what are we doing? We're calling out to God. Is that good? Yeah, it's good. It's good. But can I show you a better prayer? It's called answering prayer where instead of me picking the topic, the subject, and aiming at whatever target I want to aim at, I let God set the target for me. I let God show me which direction to pray into because he shows me through his word, and then I respond to his word. I'm answering in prayer to God's word. Now, if you want to know more about that topic, I highly recommend a book by Eugene Peterson called Answering God. It's the guy who did the message translation. It's just called Answering God. 
It's incredible. So how does this work? Very simply this. If I'm reading a word, right? Let's just say I'm reading from a chapter, whatever I'm doing. And as I'm going into that chapter, I'm beginning to think about it. I'm beginning to talk to God about it. And whatever I'm seeing in that verse causes me to react. Maybe that verse causes me to react with thanksgiving and praise, or maybe, uh, maybe I need to confess and repent. Maybe that word is, is about not using my tongue in a wrong way to tear others down. Maybe I realize I've been doing that. It's like, Lord, hey, you know what? I just see that there. I shouldn't be doing that. Lord, I'm acknowledging that. I'm going to, with your grace, I'm going to turn that around. Or, or maybe it's something that God wants to do, and I'm saying, Lord, I see what you want to do in my life, and I want to receive that. I want to grab that. So what happens is meditation is answering prayer, which just means this. It's thinking about the text until you sense God saying something to you in it and then responding. So in other words, you've slowed your roll down to the point where it's no longer a fast food meal. You're going to take your time as you go into this word, and you're going to come into it with an expectancy that God has something to show you today and to do in your life today. So when I, <laughs> I, I should not, I, I just say this. I mean, I hate yard work. I just hate yard work. That's my confession. I'm not changing it. I don't like it. Some of you are green thumbs and you were born to farm and make beautiful, pretty things. My whole vision is just to have concrete everywhere. That's like my vision. So I don't always do things the orthodox way. I've got all the right tools. But when my kids were real little, I remember going out one time and I saw a bunch of mushrooms on this big tree. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I could bend over and pluck them off. But why not just do it in a slightly more fun way? So I went and grabbed my gas can. And I started pouring gasoline on those mushrooms. And I just decided that maybe I, I think I got a little generous with how much gasoline I put on them. And so I remember, like, I walked out with my broom because I thought, well, maybe it's going to be a small flame. I'll just, I got this broom. If I need it, I'll, I'll knock it down. And, and I had my son stand back behind me. And I remember I lit that, that match, and I threw it into that, that mushroom bed. Man, the next thing was a revelation that happened. <laughs> it was like that fire went, Woof, and it went way above my head. And, I mean, it just blew it. I'm out there going, and I'm beating, and my wife's screaming at me. I'm going, get the fire extinguisher. Get the fire extinguisher. And I'm yelling at the kids to stay back. I Finally, I did. I beat it down. <laughs> I had shorts on, and I'm telling you, ladies, my legs were smooth as silk. There was, like, no hair left on them, and it was completely gone, you know. And the moral of that story is, you know, don't, don't try to create a burning bush that way. But, you know, in the Bible, we do have something called a burning bush, and Moses had an experience at a burning bush. And out of that burning bush, God spoke to him and called him and gave him purpose. And here's the idea. If we can take the time to just get into the word of God and just meditate in a little bit, that word can become like a burning bush to us out of which God speaks to us. And so in answering prayer, you're learning to listen and to reflect on the word of God. You're not just studying it, although study is important. You're not just looking to know what it says. That's important. But you're looking to go beyond that. And here's what you're looking to do. You're learning to hear it in your inward being until you sense God speaking to you and you respond in prayer. Hundreds of years ago, a man by the name of Martin Luther called it allowing God to warm your heart. Before he would ever go into prayer, he would take a time and a in the word of God and allow it, as he called it, to warm his heart. And listen, what am I saying? I'm saying God wants to talk to you. And the primary way he's going to talk to you daily is right out of the Bible that you have in your hands. And meditation will unlock that for you. So
How do we do this? Because here's what I know. Whenever I've taught on meditation or I've heard someone teach on it, you know, we'll say things like, well, do you know how to worry? Yeah, I know how to worry. Well, just sub in the word of God and worry the word of God. Now, that sounds really clever and good, and I think there's truth in that. But I think there's a better way to do that. So I started doing something about six months ago, and I was just reading through um, some books on disciplines. I started doing this about six months ago, and i got to be honest with you. I haven't completely mastered it, but it's really begun to revolutionize how I read the Bible. I read way less of the Bible than I've ever read in my life, but I'm getting way more out of it than I've ever got in my life. And so what do I mean by that? There's a system that you can use to read. It's been around for, I think, over a 1,000 years. It's just called Lectio Divina. Lectio Divina just means spiritual reading. It was started by a lot of the monks, and they passed this on. And so let me just give you the four basics of this. If you want to look into it further, we'll put a link up, or you can go to our website, you know, and click on uh, this message, and it'll also have my notes as well, and you can click on that link. But the four ways to do it is, number one, you read. So you read the Word of God. And what does that mean? Go through it slowly. So what do I do? Every day I take a chapter, and I start out with the premise of reading a chapter. Some days I read through that chapter a couple of times, but I'm looking for a phrase. I'm looking for something to be highlighted by the Holy Spirit in that Word. And as I read through it, sometimes I only get three verses, and then I'm stuck. I never get through the chapter. And then once I get that phrase or that Word, then I begin to reflect on it. I begin to think about it and say, Lord, what is it that you're trying to say to me out of this? I'm beginning to converse with the Lord. Lord, how does this connect with my life today? What do you, is this call for an action? Is this call for me doing something or being something, right? And then the third one is respond. What am I doing? I'm turning that scripture now into a prayer. How many know praying the scriptures is a very powerful thing and you can pray them? And then finally, what do I do? The last thing I do is I just rest. I just get still. The Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. Just wait on him. So in other words, during those moments where I'm still, I might just be enjoying God's presence. God might not speak anything to my heart. I might not say anything to him. I just get quiet and I allow myself just to rest in his presence. And I'm telling you, when you do this, what you're going to see is you are literally putting your roots down into the streams of God and drinking from his streams. And that will radically change your life. That will radically do some incredible things in you. And I, I don't think I'm promising you more than what the Word of God does. So here's the only other thing that I want to say is one of the things that threw me off for years, and you can put that, that link back up again because I know it's a long one. Um, one of the things that threw me for years was I would read these scriptures like Joshua 1.8, which is also about meditating. It would say meditating the Word of God day and night. This one says meditate day and night. Some of them say, Lord, I love your law. It's my meditation all day long. And part of what I did was, unknowingly, I sort of disqualified myself. What do I mean by that? I would say, well, that's so hard. I don't think I can meditate day and night. Like, as much as I try to turn my mind to that day and night, like, it's not working. I might have moments in my day where I can think about it. But you know what I really think? And this is just me. And you can disagree with me. And that's fine with me. I don't care. Um, I think maybe what this means Meditate day and night. In other words, pick a time in the day to go through and let God illuminate something to you, show you something, speak into your life. And then if you think about that during the day, that's great. But how about this? At night, just before you go to bed, what if the last thought before you went to sleep was what God had talked to you about that morning or showed you that morning? If you do that, I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to be like the person in verse 3. We're going to read verse 3 one more time. We're going, to, we're going to land this plane right here. It says, He is like a tree planted beside streams 
First of all, this is a tree that's been planted. It's a domestic tree. It's not a tree that's off in the forest or on some mountain or out in the desert. It's a tree that's been purposely put somewhere, and it's been put by a source of life. It's been put by the stream. So this tree doesn't care if it rains or doesn't rain. This tree doesn't care if it's extremely hot and dry or moist and wet. It doesn't care. This tree has the ability to put its roots down all year long and drink as often as it would like from these streams of God. What is the result when you are like a tree that puts your roots down? It goes on to say, you will produce fruit in season. How many you know as Christians and as believers, as followers of Christ, that our life is lived in seasons, that seasons come and seasons go. There's things that I used to do. I used to be a worship leader. That was a season in my life. Then there was a season where I was no longer a worship leader, and it was good and it was right. And it's not that that was ever wrong, but the season changed what God was doing in my life and calling me to do in my life at that season. Now, if I was still trying to do leading of worship, I mean, I think it would still be good. I'd like to think it would still be good, but for me, it would be wrong, wouldn't it? That'd be like going out in the winter with flip-flops and shorts, being in denial that it's sub-zero weather out there, right? That's not going to bode well for you. So in season, at the right time, in the right place, we're fruitful. And God wants everyone in this room to be fruitful. If you don't know that, I'm telling you that. God wants fruit to come out of your life. How is God glorified in your life when you bear much fruit? How do we get fruit? We've got to be putting those roots down into the streams. And it says that not only this, his leaves do not wither. doesn't mean that you're not going to go through tough times or that things are always going to go perfect. It doesn't mean that. It just means that in every season of life, you're going to keep growing. You're going to keep growing. There's going to be stability in you. And then finally, I love this one. He succeeds in everything he does. You tell me what component or avenue of life does that not apply to? Is there any area of your life that does not fit under that umbrella? No. He succeeds. Why? Because God's blessing is on him. And I love that, that we are putting our roots down into the stream. So how do we do it? We do it through meditation. So listen, anytime you learn to do something, it takes practice. You're not going to get this overnight. If you try it one time and you say, well, it didn't work that well, stay with it. I guarantee you, we have a lot of musicians up here playing today. I guarantee you, if they would have quit after their first lesson, they would have never been doing what we heard them do today. I guarantee you, as much as they love music, there were probably moments that they were grinding out trying to figure out that chord progression or, or how that one beat goes. They had to work through all that. And then eventually, it's just like driving a car. What happens when you drive a car? You have to think. Put the car in reverse. Look in that mirror. Look in that mirror. Look in that mirror. Turn slowly. Look both ways. You're doing all this stuff, right? And your brain's just going, what? After a while, what do you do? You get in the car and you just take off. Why? Because it becomes a habit. We allow these godly habits to be formed in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much today for your word. Lord, that your word reveals your will. It reveals who you are to us. Lord, that it's impossible for us to know you, to ever come to know you apart from knowing your word. So Lord, I'm praying for all of us in this room today, Lord. Would you help us, Lord, to become people that begin to, like never before, put our roots down into the very streams of God and begin to draw 
on your life, begin to draw on your favor, your grace, your redemption, Lord, your deliverance, your victory, Lord, whatever it is that we have need of, Lord, you know that. And Lord, just allow us to, to, to go deeper. As the Apostle Paul said, that we would be rooted and grounded in your love, but Lord, that we'd be rooted and grounded in your truth and in your word. That's what I'm praying for us, Father. And Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Just while we're in this attitude of prayer, um, one thing that I think that's really significant is when we talk about being planted by the Lord, by these streams, you know, that's truly the grace of God in our lives. How do you get planted? How do you become part of this kingdom? You know, it really kind of comes down to the decisions that we make in our heart, decisions to follow Jesus. And one of the things that the Bible teaches us is that when we believe in him, when we believe in him and when we call out to him that there's an exchange, he takes our sins and gives us his righteousness. He takes that dead person on the inside of us and raises us to new life. He gives us a new heart. He does something brand new on the inside of us. And the way that happens is simply by an act of faith, by us reaching out to him and calling on his name. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 8, that the kingdom of God is as close as our heart and as near as our mouth, that if we say with our mouths what we already believe in our hearts, that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says we will be saved. That's his promise to us. Faith just means I trust him to keep his word in my life. So if you're here today and you're saying, you know what, um, I feel like I feel like I'm ready. I'm ready to make that decision. I'm ready to make that decision to follow Jesus. I'm ready to believe in him, give him my life, and trust him to work out his will in me. If you're ready to do that for the first time, or maybe it's been a long time, and you've been sort of doing your own thing for an awful long time, but today you're here and you're saying, you know what? I just feel God's been kind of tugging at me that it's time for me to come back come back home and follow him, then I want to give you an opportunity to just pray this real simple prayer. There's no magic in it. It's just simply this. When we pray, he hears. When we call, he listens. So when you pray today, he's going to hear you when you're praying from your heart. And if you want to do that, I want to ask you to pray with me right now. Church, I want to ask you to help me. Just simply say this. Say, Jesus, I believe that you are Lord that you were raised from the dead, that my sins are forgiven. And right now, I make a decision to follow you, to trust in you, to let you lead me. Receive me into your kingdom. Amen. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc slash give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast. Thank you.